the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Guys, it's week 11 already for Conference USA football. Uh, As we wind down the season, divisional races are getting tighter. Uh, Teams we thought would perform a certain way are certainly not storylines we've been exploring all year. But uh, now as we get closer and closer to the end of the year with teams locking in bowl spots and, uh, you know, really fulfilling their potential or not, depending on where you are in the league. Um, We're really seeing it all just kind of come to fruition here. So with that said, we'll introduce ourselves. My name is Joe Londrigan, sort of Western Kentucky. Well, lately it's just been complaining about how the team's been on (laughs) underdogdynasty.com. Some other Conference USA-related things over there. And, uh, of course, Mr. Eric Henry, FIU beat writer uh, extraordinaire. How are you doing today, sir? Doing all right, Joe. Can't complain. I appreciate the uh, extraordinaire. You know, as always, you give me a intro that I am not nearly worthy of, but uh, <laughs> doing pretty well down in Florida. Can't complain. It's another beautiful 83 degree day here in uh, November, so can't complain. Hey, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's getting to that time of year where I get, uh, you know, the calls from family members in that part of the country. That's It's usually about a 30 second long conversation. Just how's the weather in Oregon? <laughs> Crappy. How's the weather in Florida? Great. <laughs> Anyway, just wanted to rub it in. Bye. Like, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much how it goes up here. So, mm. pretty much after spending the last three years in Chicago, uh, I will definitely take every opportunity I have to make that phone call and rub it in. So, sorry, not sorry, guys. <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking of sorry, let's get back to Western Kentucky football for a second. Uh, they lost to Middle Tennessee State twenty-nine to ten over the weekend. Um, something to note from this game, uh, MTSU quarterback Cordell Hudson suffered a pretty scary injury on the field, had to be taken to a local hospital in Nashville, uh, carted off the field. However, from what I understand, he's doing much, much better since that injury, uh, has movement in all his extremities. So that's extremely good to hear. Uh, never want to see something like that happen to happen to a guy so young. Um, and or anybody really, but uh, moving on to the actual game for the Blue Raiders, uh, Mr. Shatan Mobley set a program record for freshmen with 198 rushing yards in this game, and that was the performance that ultimately got the Blue Raiders the win. Two touchdowns and 228 yards for Brent Stock still helped that along as well. And uh, on the Western Kentucky side, the quarterback problems just seem to keep rolling on. Uh, they actually started senior Drew Eccles in this game, who ended up re-aggravating the injury that kept him out for most of the season in this game. Uh, and then Stephen Duncan came in, which, in my opinion, probably should have had him in there from the start. But uh, he did only go 3 of 14 for 61 yards with one touchdown and also through an interception. And now Western also apparently dealing with an injury to receiver Jacques Sloan, uh, because of course they are. And uh, that that's a bummer for them as he had kind of emerged as one of their downfield playmakers over the last few weeks. But uh, MTSU, bowl eligible once again, and Western just trying to figure stuff out still. Yeah, for Western, uh, I'll let you have at it. You know, for me, this the major takeaway for me from uh, Middle Tennessee State was that this was just a really impressive win because it came primarily via the run game. If they can get Shaton Mobley going, it's going to be a tight race down the stretch for Conference USA East. You know, the reason I say that is because Brent Stockstill, you know, we all know of his accomplishments and his storied uh, Conference USA career, but he's had to shoulder a lot of the load, whether it's been as a passer, as a rusher. So if they can just get a consistent running game, you know, Tavares Thomas was the guy earlier in the year, and 
he kind of struggled the former linebacker who made the transition to running back so if they can just get that type of consistent production that'll be huge for the blue raiders as they make a run at the conference usa east uh pinned down the rest of the stretch here reed blankenship had another nice day on defense for the blue raiders and and you know he's a consistent as ever player so he's a guy that kind of brings that defense together at safety and you know, for Western, things just go from bad to worse and now just abysmal. The lone bright spot for me was Ben Holt who had another 10-plus tackle game. But that'll happen when, you know, you're tackling the running back four or five yards up the field. So it's not like he's living in the backfield uh, making these tackles. He's, he's, he's having to, you know, kind of prevent these running backs from getting to the end zone. But all in all, still, you know, a bright spot for, for Western and what's been really a uh, just a downtrodden season. You know, I, I know my friend over on the Bay Area, Emily Van Buskirk, she's a writer for Fansided, and, and she had Rick Stockstill over on her podcast last week. So I'll give them a quick plug because he was really insightful talking about, you know, all the things that the, they've had to face in the past, you know, year or so with uh, the quarterback, uh, you know, his son, and, and, and just kind of looking at that last rock that they have together as a as as player and coach and just the dynamic of that relationship. So it's been really enlightening and really insightful to hear his thoughts on that. But all in all, yeah, just a great win for Middle Tennessee State is they're still in the hunt. You know, um, they lost to FIU and it seemed as if FIU may run away with the division, but uh, not quite as we will transition to that game later on that, you know, FIU has definitely left the door open in the East for someone to come in and uh, take that spot from them. Yeah. MTSU is still very much in the hunt to win CUSA East. (coughs) But as the uh, on the other side of that with Western, I am it's just gets more and more frustrating. Like you mentioned, they do have some playmakers on this team. Ben Holt immediately comes to mind with uh, how well he is tackling and just the amount of effort that you see him put in day in day out. But uh, like you mentioned, those kind of performances where he racks up that many tackles, that's not necessarily a great thing when he's just chasing people all over the field because they can't get stops in the backfield um on the offensive side of the ball uh i just curious on friday night were you around the cusa twitter sphere at all when uh when that western middle tennessee game was going on i actually wasn't what did i miss uh you missed um stephen duncan's father kind of you know letting some of us know what he really thinks of the state of that program so that was a little interesting (laughs) Uh, uh, yikes that's that's never a good thing you know parents of course parents are going to be passionate you know it's their kids who are you know putting their blood set and tears blue let's try this one again their blood sweat and tears into into the program um so obviously you know it's it's never a great thing i don't want to tell a parent not to you know go off on a coaching staff or whatever on twitter but it's 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 probably better that you convey those messages you know one-on-one to the coach instead of via public forum especially mike sanford who's now you know one and eight on the year sure uh by the way the new name for tears on twitter is tweers um but uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'll I'll give Steve Duncan Sr. credit in that, you know, he wasn't swearing, he wasn't directing any, you know, anger. I, it was mostly, I think, it was frustration at first over, you know, um, once Drew Reckles kind of had a rough start, you know, why isn't Steven playing? Um, and then kind of, you know, kind of transitioned to um, uh, excitement when Steve came in and threw that touchdown to uh, Lucky Jackson. But... Um, I think kind of the biggest thing that he really said was just, you know, I think all of A, the parents, and B, the uh, Western Kentucky fan base in general is just overall very frustrated with what Sanford's been able to do um, so far. And I think he's justified in that. And to be honest, it wasn't necessarily like this big, long, ranting thing. Just um, 
just kind of the tone of what he was saying was kind of like, okay, yeah, I think just the frustration's kind of setting in for anybody, and uh, now it's it's out there in the public view. So it's um it's it's a tough spot to be in for sure. Um, and it, I was watching Sanford's press conferences the past couple of weeks, and you know he started it uh, talking about uh, you know all of the community things that he and his staff and are doing, especially with um, you know Alyssa Cavanaugh and her bone marrow issues and uh, you know, sure. so, some of the other things and it's just like damn it man I want to root for you go win a football game <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah I mean that's a that's a conversation that you know we'll have at the end of the season because I don't want to you know belabor the, the, the talk of Mike Sanford and you know what he may or may not deserve or where the, the state of the program is sure. you know, we've talked about that endlessly, endlessly throughout the year um, it's just the major point for me that I've, I've kind of made is that you know the program was really successful in the past five or six years and you just have to wonder where it's trending now with this you know now one win season but you know we'll pick up that discussion another day sure sure um i think we've kind of settled on that game for a little long enough but uh or a little too long i should say i think we're both having some issues talking today but which is always great when we're doing a podcast but we'll move along then Mississippi State 45, Louisiana Tech 3. Didn't expect that big of a beatdown, honestly. Uh, 532 yards for Mississippi State in this one, so not a great day for that Tech defense that uh, had really been doing some good things the last few weeks. Um, But honestly, if you're Tech, you can't really put too much stock in this game, though, since Mississippi State was a pretty highly ranked team on the national uh, picture. And if you're Tech, also, it isn't a conference loss, and you're already bowl eligible, so... You know, that one happened. Move along, I say, for the Bulldogs. Joe, we're a little bit in disagreement here about this game because, sure, you can't put too much stock into the fact that they're, that they're you know, going into Starkville and playing a really uh, solid SEC team. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like they're playing, you know, Alabama or LSU, the cream of the crop. And, and to be honest, the thing that disappointed me the most was Nick Fitzgerald isn't exactly Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers back there in the pocket. So the fact that he had the kind of success that he did as a passer was disappointing. Uh, Jalen Ferguson did do what he does, which is rack up sacks and bunches. He had two. And, you know, you expect that from a great defensive player like him. And, you know, for him to kind of get that, that exposure and get that tape out there for the pros is phenomenal. But yeah, you know, I mean, another thing that, that disappointed me, and I don't want to keep referencing the LSU game, but I was impressed with the way Tech went into Death Valley earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Jamar Smith outplayed Joe, Bur- excuse me, Joe Burrow. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get the talking thing going uh, sooner than later on this podcast. <laughs> Jamar Smith outplayed Joe Burrow that day. So for him to kind of have the subpar game that he did was, was disappointing. And, and the fact that, let's just call a spade a spade, they looked like the JV squad against Varsity. So, you know, that's a, a tough day for Louisiana Tech. Um, you know, I'm not saying I expect them to go in there and win, and I believe last week on the podcast I said that this game would be fairly close, but Mississippi State would pull away at the end. Uh, just expected a better performance overall, but, you know, as you said, it's it's not, you know, all doom and gloom. They are bowl eligible, but just would have liked to see a little better showing from uh, Louisiana Tech. Oh, for sure. I mean, especially with, uh, you know, when you play a team like Mississippi State who – I've got to think you're competing for recruits pretty heavily in that part of the country. Um, you know, a better, a good performance against those type of teams always helps things on that front. But uh, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So I, I can't imagine they're hanging their heads too much right now with just the things that they've been able to accomplish this year as a whole. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no reason for this would be to be hanging their heads. We still have a lot to play for uh, in Conference USA, you know, try to get to uh, potentially eight or nine wins. But once again, it's just, you know, uh, as 
we do cover, you know, the smaller leagues. You just kind of want to see those guys go up in there and, and have their best showing against the big boys, quote-unquote big boys. So it's a little disappointing that it was a, that quite of a, of a margin of a loss. But, sure, no reason to hang their heads. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll leave that one at that in that, uh, you know, Tech's doing some good things and it didn't necessarily show in this one. But uh, Southern Miss getting a surprising 26-24 to victory over Marshall this weekend. Uh, Tate Watley, a freshman, took the reins at quarterback for USM. Jay Hobson actually kind of threw the scent off of him earlier in the week after a head injury to Jack Abraham in the Charlotte game. They actually dressed both uh, Watley and Abraham uh, they both they, they dressed both of them in warmups, and uh, Hobson seemed adamant that Abraham was gonna play earlier in the year, but uh, that necessarily wasn't the case. And it's funny; I think they tried to pull off like what Hawaii did with their quarterbacks earlier this year, where they, you know, dressed him but ended up not being, you know, who they thought was gonna get the start. But um, it kind of worked. So the Marshall offense also committed five turnovers, uh, one being a scoop and score for USM. So that also helped the Golden Eagles get the win here. But, um, yeah, an intriguing win for the Golden Eagles. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of brought in the, the turnovers there because, I mean, you know, in my opinion, they could they could address nine quarterbacks. It wouldn't have mattered if you turned the ball over that many times. You know, those those yeah. amount of turnovers against uh, against an FCS team would make life difficult, let alone a premier conference opponent uh, in Southern Miss, a team that is very talented. There's no other way to put it in my book. You know, the Herd may have literally turned over their chance to win Conference USA. Uh, we saw the return of Isaiah Green, who took over for Alex Thomason. After he threw a pick, and you know personally, I, I I think Isaiah Green should be the starter, and this isn't anything against uh, Alex Thomason as a player. I, I just liked the way that Green was performing when he was a starter. I thought that he did enough to to keep the job. Uh, of course, he's recovering from an injury, and I think he's the future of that Marshall program. So I think they should stick with him going forward. The Marshall defense, led by Chase Hancock and Malik Kant, they did more than enough to win the game you know when you hold you know the the running game southern miss 25 carries for 40 yards and, and if you take away the the 18 yard run um from uh from southern miss uh those numbers would be even worse you know that they, they would have uh, i believe 25 or 22 if my quick math is correct would be 0.3 yards to carry so you know that they certainly did enough to win the game but you got to give credit where credit's due golden eagles found a way to win and they did first they did force those turnovers, so it wasn't like, you know, they just literally were handed to him. Uh, a guy I've been pretty tough on in Quez Watkins, he found the end zone, so it was nice to see him step up and play well. And, you know, they held Tyree Brady to one catch on the day, so just a good win for Jay Hobson's club. For sure. Uh, there's two things that I kind of want to get uh, your opinion on here, and the first is on the Southern Miss side. Um, I believe this actually happened, like, pretty soon after we wrapped the last podcast, so that's why we didn't bring it up last week. But uh, Quadra Griggs, no longer with the football program. What do you make of that? Yeah, um, Joe, I don't know if you saw any of the reports. I, I believe, and I, I don't want to see this is what happens. I'm trying to recall things from memory, which is already bad to begin with. I believe he suffered a death in the family mm. in the off season, And I think that's been affecting him. As as I go back, I will try to uh, confirm that. But I, from what I've been reading, it's just that, you know, this him not being with the program wasn't necessarily as much as, you know, a disciplinary thing as much as it was just, you know, kind of a kind of a mutual parting of the ways. So uh, his his time there at Southern Miss had really kind of come up to an end. I mean, Jack Abrams, a sophomore, Tate Watley is a, is a freshman. So, you know, it, it, his future was really three or four games left anyway. So uh, not much of an issue there. Yeah, it's uh, it just seems like a, it's an interesting timing, I guess, to kind of wait until this far end of the year. But like you said, I'm, I'm sure a lot of factors kind of played into that decision. And then um, the other thing was looking at Marshall 
early in the year and kind of over the off season a little bit, we talked about how much we uh, had high expectations for this offense, and they've been inconsistent this year. Do you think? Uh, you know, what do you make of that? As far as the Marshall offense goes, you know, I mean, they don't have Tyler King, and Tyler King, yeah. you know, show that he has all the potential in the world to really kind of get the, get you know keep the offense going there but you know it's, it's a fair point you raise uh when you got a superstar like Tyree Brady and he's a guy I really think just sheer athletically and potential wise should be the best at least in the discussion for the best if not top two or three receivers in conference USA and his numbers back that up that he is one of those guys but just level of inconsistency there so that makes a makes a big difference and also the quarterback situation you know Isaiah Green he's a guy I really like he, he's he's still a young player um that's kind of been up and down. So the the offense will have those inconsistencies when you when you have players who aren't necessarily playing uh, up to their potential every single week. But I think the Tyler King situation is huge. And just really quick, I want to confirm something. Um, when I was talking about Quadra Griggs, mm-hmm. his uh, his mother passed away uh, prior to the uh, North Texas game. So Maybe. you know, I, I think I think that may have been part of him just saying, you know, hey, let's. Uh, it, was just, it was more of a mutual. Uh, parting of the ways for Southern Miss, but uh, yeah, as far as Marshall goes, that's uh, injuries are going to play a part. You know, quarterback. It, it's you know, not every team is going to be North Texas where they have a Mason Fine, someone who's going to be back there every single single game. A Brent Stockstill is going to be back there and build that continuity with the offense. So that plays a huge factor. That's true. Uh, you're talking to someone who follows Western Kentucky football very closely, so I know a lot about quarterback inconsistency right now. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we'll go on to some very happy news for the residents of El Paso, Texas. UTEP has won a game beating Rice 34-26 to over the weekend. Losing streak for UTEP is now over at 20 games. And um, in the build-up to this game, I found a Reddit post that r slash CFB tweeted out that uh, I'd like to share it with all of you. Um, from user Alcatraz um, that made my day. <coughs> this is it. The game of the century. Kansas versus Rutgers was just the appetizer. Rutgers versus Indiana? Amir amuse Bush. Now it's time for the main course. The mighty UTEP Miners are headed to Houston to defend their unprecedented FBS-leading 20-game losing streak against the upstart Rice Owls, losers of 19 of their last 21. It's been 740 days since UTEP last beat an FBS team on the road. It's been 1,069 days since Rice last beat an FBS team not named UTEP at home. This is a true grudge match. UTEP may have been able to secure the loss in the last two meetings, but Rice has pulled out all the stops this year, fielding our third-string quarterback or running back and our fourth-string quarterback. ESPN only gives us a 55% chance to win, despite Rice's Stadium's legendary home field advantage and UTEP losing 30-10 to FCS Northern Arizona. Join Rice Football on ESPN3 for some hashtag intellectual brutality Saturday. I personally guarantee your intellect will feel brutalized. <laughs> well, I, after after hearing all that, I, I kind of have uh, two observations. Sure. One, that gentleman has a lot of time and a lot of creativity to to come up with that entire spiel. But uh-huh. you know, a for a for effort. And secondly, uh, I wasn't sure if I was listening to Joe Londrigan or the you know dramatic movie voice guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was well done on your part, sir. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I God, I love Reddit. 
and uh, especially r slash cfb uh the quote the conversation there the is you know it's always all caps so that tells you how great it usually is um but uh eric your boy kai loxley got it done 193 yards through the air and two touchdowns on the ground and um so good for him good for utep and uh on the right side how much stock do you really put in this loss moving forward Okay. All right. You know, if you threw a couple things at me, first thing I, I want to see if, if you actually saw. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the the uh, UTEP fans storming the field after the game? I did. That was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> just first off, it was. I mean, just the image that you would have in your mind of you know Michigan storming Ohio State, you know, versus uh you know beating that rivalry was just wasn't quite what it was. It was about you know a hundred fans storming an empty Rice Stadium. <laughs> Rice Stadium. <laughs> but 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 that's what made it awesome. Man. Yeah. That was. I, I saw a picture of that and I, I, I just couldn't, you know, not appreciate that. But yeah, uh, as far as Kyle Oxley goes, he returned and, and he had almost 200 yards as a passer, which I know you're saying to yourself at home, okay, 200 yards, you know, what do you do? But, you know, that's a huge accomplishment for, for, you know, UTEP um, when he's been behind center. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story really was the one, the run game, Quadras Wadley and Trevon Hughes visit the end zone a combined three times, but I've made a huge deal about Loxley and the fact that teams have been so, you know, non-respecting his ability as a passer that it's it's served as a as kind of a twofold impediment for the for the UTEP offense because mm-hmm. they're taking away the pass game and that he hasn't been efficient and then they're just loading up against the run. So the fact that he was able to have some success as a passer, even though he threw a pick, played a huge uh, factor in this one. Um, as far as Rice, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn. I this is I. It's a maybe a fault of mine. I tend to see guys in person and kind of fall in love with them. And as far as Evan Marshman goes, he's a guy who I thought you know played really well. I think he deserves a chance. We'll talk about that in Rice's preview going forward for next week. I think he deserves a chance uh, to get another shot at quarterback. But Wiley Green has had two uh, really solid games in a row. You know they fought back hard, scoring 16 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, Allen. Uh, Alan Trammell here. I'm thinking of old Detroit Tigers reference. Austin Trammell uh, had over 100 yards receiving. Uh, Austin Walter also had 100 yards as a receiver, um, even though he didn't have much success with the run game. But yeah, I mean, it's both programs have fought hard, and Utah picks up their first win in, in 20 games. But you know, I, I can't fault Rice in, in, at all because you know they're going against a UTEP team that, despite being winless, they've been fighting all year long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Um, like you mentioned, that run game has just looked a little bit better each week, and it kind of finally came to fruition against this Rice team. Um, but, you know, I think with Rice, that quarterback, Wiley Green, I think they might have found their guy that they can try to develop into something moving forward because he is a he's a freshman, correct? Yeah, yeah, I believe I believe yeah. he is a freshman. Uh, I know Marshman um, was a walk-on, so he's a, a redshirt freshman as well. So I mean, they've got some guys there, and you know, mm-hmm. I, give Wiley Green credit because he's he's certainly. I, I don't want to go back and play the what if game, but you kind of wonder what if Wiley Green had started um, at at FIU because Evan Marshman, while he made plays with his legs and fought his you know his, his guts out, mm-hmm. uh, the major thing that he couldn't do was pass the football, and Wiley Green showing effectiveness in doing that. Certainly, and uh, you know, I think. I think it was, like you mentioned, this UTEP team uh, has been getting a little bit better every week, and, you know, Rice certainly has some holes, but I think I still maintain that I think they're going in the right direction. And now I think UTEP proved to me a little bit more that they are doing that as well. So, good for you, UTEP. Good for you, UTEP fans, uh, giving us some quality entertainment over the weekend. Um Moving on to the other game against an SEC opponent this week, uh, Charlotte losing 14-3 to to Tennessee. Uh, ben LeMay led all rushers with 81 yards here. 
way closer than I expected this game to be. Uh, Charlotte honestly probably should have won this game. Uh, you go back to the uh, post-game presser, and uh, you know I believe it was uh, Tennessee's head coach, actually, um, if I can learn how to copy and paste a link into my browser here real quick. Yeah, it was um, Pruitt said, uh, we beat a good football team that I think we're pretty evenly matched against. And he was, in fact, talking about the Charlotte 49ers, so think about that for a second. Um, but if you're Tennessee and that's what you think, I just that, that's interesting. And maybe it's a testament to the jump that Charlotte's made this year. So what did you think of the 49ers in this game? No, I mean, this is something that I said to you last week. I'm, once again, I don't want to be I told you so guy. Um, you know, really quick on Jeremy Pruitt, this guy you were talking about, uh, his yeah. his quote post-game. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's got bigger issues if he's comparing his program to Charlotte just to call a spade a spade. You know, I mean, uh, I, I know I said last week that this isn't the, the Tennessee of the um, – Peyton Manning, Jamal Lewis days, but let's just be honest here. You know, we're talking about a team in Charlotte that at the beginning of the year, we were wondering whether they made the jump from FCS to FBS too quickly. So if, if he's saying that, you know, we're pretty evenly matched against, I, I got to call a little shenanigans on that and say that that's just coach speak for, hey, you know, we won the game and I'm not going to, you know, uh, be too hard on my guys. But yeah, I always felt going into this game that Charlotte had a chance to win. The 49er defense has been really impressive down the stretch, hasn't it? You know, mm-hmm. um, Ben DeLuca's picked up his play. Uh, the Vols did a good job of taking Juwan Foggy out of it, but Ben DeLuca, uh, he's been you know kind of that tag team partner for for Foggy, and they've done a great job. I believe Ben had a nine tackles on the year. Excuse me, nine tackles on the game. And I don't want to take anything away from Evan Sheriffs, but you know for me the major takeaway is this: if Chris Reynolds was available, I think Charlotte wins this game. Uh, that's just the major thing for me, you know, because he, he had really been coming on and as a quarterback he beat out Hassan Clue and uh, and was really making some things happen. But credit. Excuse me, credit Tennessee's defense as well. You know, Ben LeMay had to work hard for his 81 yards as they came on 24 carries. That really was the difference because, you know, if, if with a guy who's dynamic as Benny LeMay, uh, if he's touching the ball 20, 25 times, you're hoping he can get 150. Uh, the Tennessee offense, they scored 14 in the first quarter. That was enough to carry him to victory. Mm-hmm. I'll say it again. This is a conversation we can have along with Mike Sanford down the road, but <laughs> Brad Lambert's done enough in my book to return next year. Yeah, and um, I'm. it's... I am just still getting more and more torn with Brad Lambert as the year goes on. Uh, obviously, over the offseason, I was ready to hand that job to anybody else, but he's pulling it together. And I, you know, I want to take personal responsibility for being the one that spurred. <laughs> just totally, I'm totally kidding. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is an interesting development for Charlotte. They have looked more and more like a Division One FBS football team. Uh, as this year goes on and credit to Brad Lambert for getting it together and credit to these players for turning in some really big games. Um, so yeah, we can kind of re-examine that over the off season, but it's starting to feel more and more like Brad Lambert's going to keep his job and Hey, good for him, <clears throat> but we'll move on to the Shula bowl. Cause I know you have a lot to say about this one. FAU winning yeah. that game 49 to 14, Huge day for Devin Singletary and FAU's run game. Motor finished with 184 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, and then quarterback DeAndre Johnson finally got his moment to shine with the Owls with two touchdowns, even though it was only on uh, on four completions. But, um, you know, kind of making it happen behind uh, Chris Robinson, who obviously led the team in passing yards, but, um, you know, didn't really need it with the way the rushing game performed. Um, but, Eric, what happened to the FIU Panthers in this game? 
Yeah, Joe, you know, I mean, let's just backtrack for a second. You know, I spent most of my week cheating on you as a podcast partner. You know, I did three podcasts last week uh, talking about this game in preparation for it because it really was a big game. And I also did uh, the FIU pregame show as well. I, I sat in with those guys for about 20 minutes. And I said that there was a formula for FAU to win this game. And they executed it flawlessly. They had to force some turnovers, but they also had to get the run game going in a, in a unit that Bush Davis, Bush Davis has said, quite frankly, you know, they have to improve now like it it can't it can't be you know tomorrow it can't be next week it has to be now uh so for some this game was a shocker but for me it wasn't because coaches hinted at this all post game uh throughout the year is that hey you know we we're winning games and that's all well and good but we're not quite you know fine-tuned in every facet of the game uh there were a couple key moments first off uh Joe, I don't know if you caught this one, maybe, you know, uh, on the back end, but there was a weird fumble that took place down on the FIU gold line, or excuse me, the mm-hmm. FAU gold line. James Morgan, he actually uh, was getting ready to execute a quarterback sneak, and what happened, we couldn't even see it from the press box, and the replays didn't even pick it up. Uh, Butch Davis told us this postgame that what happened was the umpire had his hand on the back of the center, I believe it was uh, Dallas Connell, um, who was uh, at center at that time. Huh. And you know, uh, Morgan is ready to take the snap, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm ready for play to begin." The umpire actually stepped out, but hadn't signaled for play to begin yet. So Morgan called for the snap. Uh, the, the The umpire's hand was still on the back of the center, and just a really bizarre play where, as the umpire stepped out and under review, they said that, "Hey, because the umpire did step out, uh, that was a signal for play," despite him still having his hand on his back, which once again, you know, uh, conference USA's head of officiating Jerry Austin will have to clear that up. Mm-hmm. But all in all, it was called a, a fumble and, and FAU actually returned it a hundred yards for a touchdown, but then that was reviewed and was brought back to the two yard line. So just a really strange turn of events. What that did, it was early in the, in that game, which, uh, FIU was looking to go up 14 to seven, excuse me, tie the game at seven, just really, uh, just a momentum thing that, that played a huge factor. Uh, Coach Davis, when I asked him post-game, you know, he said that as far as the run defense giving up almost 400 yards on the ground, mm-hmm. said this has nothing to do with adjustments. It's about guys lining up correctly, playing the, rec- the right technique, being in the right gaps. You know, they, I asked him if, if there were adjustments that could be made, and he was, you know, pretty uh, brisk and saying, like, hey, there are no adjustments. It's about guys playing football properly. Uh, and I think I actually worded the question a little bit poorly because Butch pretty much ended his presser after I asked him that question. So uh, for Coach, who's not, you know, a usually an angry guy at post game, you know, he was yeah. he kind of had his uh, had his fill of the evening as far as FAU goes. Um, but for, you know, the Owls, once again, we got to give them credit. You know, you mentioned DeAndre Johnson. He didn't have a great game passing, but there was one play, Joe. It was fourth and 11. And Lane Kiffin really coached like a guy who had nothing to lose. He's already an aggressive coach as is, but it was fourth and 11. Uh, their kicker has kind of been inconsistent all year. DeAndre Johnson evades the the FIU rush, which it looks like they had him down for a sack and they're going to get the huge stop, is rolling right and throws across his body and catches Javon Durante in the end zone. Just a backbreaker for FIU because that made it 28-14, and that pretty much sealed the deal. You know, huge win for the Owls, but just overall, you know, FIU's done a lot of good things this year, but the fact of the matter is this, their run defense isn't up to par, and, and they're going to have to get that fixed pretty quickly if they want to have any shot at winning Conference USA, the East Division at least. For sure, and uh, that's a, kind of a concerning issue. I would have to think uh, with how well uh, you know how well they played this year, and then how tight the East race is. Um, and there's certainly, as we've shown, there's some tough running backs in the East who uh, they still have yet to face. So, we'll, something to keep an eye on as the season winds down here with uh, FIU trying to lock that up. 
Um, meanwhile, in the West, it seems like UAB is just getting closer and closer to locking that division up. They beat UTSA 52-3 to over the weekend. Freshman Tyler Johnson shined in his first start at quarterback, throwing for 249 yards and three touchdowns here. Plus, Spencer Brown tacked on 147 yards and two rushing touchdowns. 668 total yards for UAB's offense on Saturday. So the Blazers getting their eighth win and UTSA almost regressing at this point, which is not something I thought we would really see, to be honest with you. Joe, I really think this is just a a matter of having similar issues with Western Kentucky. You know, they just don't have the quarterback situation right. Uh, This is a game that I thought going into it, I thought that UAB would win, but I thought it might be something like a 21-3 to or 21-7 to game. You know, I wasn't expecting that type of, of offensive output from UAB. Not that they're not a capable offense, mm-hmm. but you're thinking when you're missing A.J. Erdley uh, and you're going against a, a, a UTSA defense that has talented guys, as we'll talk about, you know, later in this podcast, you know, you're thinking that uh, they'll, they'll get the win and Spencer Brown will be able to do his thing, but it won't be a blowout. Um, funny story about this one. I'm leaving the game and, and uh, one of the FIU staffers yells out to me that UTSA beat UAB 3-0. <laughs> uh, I, I, thought, I thought there's no way that could happen. I Google the score and I see 3-0. So my first thought is this has to be a mistake. You know, coming off the shellacking I just watched in person, I'm like, are you kidding me? So mm-hmm. uh, come to find out, it was just Google being stupid. And, you know, uh, uh, our guy uh, from Underdog Dynasty, uh, Jared K, he tweeted out as well that Google was just having a uh, kind of a brain fart. You know, it was not yeah. 3-0. But if you had Googled the game at a certain point in time around midnight, it would have showed up that UTSA won 3-0. So I was uh, almost a slight shock there. But that aside, <laughs> you know, great day for Spencer Brown and James Noble. And, and Tyler Johnson, you know, did a great job, you know, filling in for A.J. Erdley against a, what I believe is a pretty solid UTSA D. So good win. For sure, and with how well we're seeing this UAB offense in particular play and the defense also playing very, very well, um, you know, we'll just roll this right into the other thing we wanted to kind of talk about before we preview games. Do we see UAB ranked by the end of the year? So we they've received 31 votes in this most recent AP poll, and they received 64 in the Week 11 coaches poll. So if they keep playing the way they do, I think they're going to finish the year ranked, which, you know, just considering where this program's came from, that's a tremendous accomplishment, I think. Yeah, no, without question. I mean, they literally, as I said, in the year literally came from the dead. You know, that's not hyperbole. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to ask you a quick question, Joe. When you say end the year, are we talking about after a bowl game or are we talking about the end of uh, league play? Just really quick. Uh, fair question. I think uh, end of league play. Okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure for clarification because I think that – you know, the major factor when it comes to these these you know top 25 polls is how much they respect the conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, FIU actually got a few votes last week, and I think they got a couple this week for a top 25 ranking. So that trends well for UAB because there's enough respect for the league that shows that if UAB wins out, and especially if they can beat Texas A&M, mm-hmm. I completely, which I think they can, they certainly are talented enough, they completely can be uh, ranked at the end of the year. Yeah, it, it's... Crazy to think how many yards this offense is really producing. Even with what UTSA's defense has been able to do this year, 668 total yards, that is crazy. And with a backup quarterback, too. I, you know, just credit, full credit to Bill Clark as they go for their program record ninth win uh, later this week. So... The Blazers are certainly the talk of Conference USA right now, and um, for good reason, and it's certainly deserved. Uh, with that, we'll just jump right into previews. So this week we have North Texas uh, heading to Old Dominion, 
And uh, I think this is going to be a pretty easy game for North Texas. Um, I think Mason Fines more than got this thing under control. Uh, you can catch that one at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN3. Fairly easy to watch, but um, I'm not too worried about uh, North Texas's chances in this one. I'm taking them all day. Okay, uh, the first note I have is trap game. I'm, I'm not saying that UNT. Yeah, I'm not saying that UNT will lose. Excuse me. I'm not saying they'll lose, but we all know how talented that ODU is. You know, the, they have a ton of guys. We we talk about it all year. I will mention names again: John Duhart, O'Shane Zimenez, you know, Travis Fulgham. They've got talented guys. Uh, the major thing here is for UNT, 77% of their first downs come on first and second down. What this means for me is this: they can really demoralize this defense if they don't allow O'Shane Zimenez to get that chance to to kind of pin his ears back and rush on third and third and long and third and pass situations. Uh, the key for ODU is they have to start quickly. They, you know, if you look at the counting numbers for this team, they have great counting stats. You know, putting up uh, you know all kinds of yardage and and the box score looks great. But most of those yards are and most of those stats are really coming in garbage time when they're down 14 or 21 points. So they'll have to start quickly. But I, I do agree with you that North Texas will win. But trap game, don't take them lightly. Uh, you know, I think with Old Dominion, just the talents there, sure, but talent and execution are two different things, and they have not really executed very well this year. So I think North Texas, like, I mean, we're in agreement that North Texas is going to win, but I, I do think that they're going to at least cover that 14.5 point spread. Um, and then we have Marshall hosting Charlotte at 2.30 Eastern Time, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Marshall also favored by 14.5 here. I am a little torn on this one. I think Charlotte's been playing really, really well. That defense has played, uh, you know, beyond expectations. Uh, and like we were talking about a little bit earlier, this Marshall offense is uh, playing a little bit inconsistently right now. What What do you make of this? I am very torn on this game, Joe. You know, the fact that uh, we, from what we know, uh, I, and I haven't seen uh, the latest that I've read is that Tyler King, there's no definite timetable for his return. If he were available, I, I would take Marshall outright, but I'm really conflicted on this one because I love the way the 49ers are playing. They're slept on every week, and that's come back to bite some CUSA opponents in the behind. You know, Juwan Foggy and Ben DeLuca, they've been great at forcing turnovers all year, and we saw what turnovers did to the herd last week. I'm going to say it again. If Chris Reynolds were available, I'd, I'd take Charlotte straight up. Um, but I, I believe that Marshall will find a way to bounce back and get in the win column. You know, who starts? Will it be Green or Thomason? That's that's up for debate. And both guys have shown the ability to get the job done. But I, I lean towards Green being the herd's best option, and I lean towards Marshall finding a way to pull out a win and keep their East Division uh, title hopes alive. Yeah, I'm leaning that way as well. Even with the season that Charlotte's been able to put together so far, I, it's hard for me to pick against a team that I had so much hope for uh, earlier this year in CUSA East. So uh, I'll pick Marshall as well. Uh, probably be a close game. Really looking forward to that one. And then uh, also, with uh, speaking of Eastern Division uh, potential, we have Middle Tennessee heading to El Paso to face UTEP. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. Plus. Blue Raiders favored by 13 and a half. Um, you know, great story with UTEP getting their first win in a long time, but I think that Middle Tennessee offense just has their stuff a little bit more together. Uh, and what we've seen out of um, Middle Tennessee's defense this year, uh, especially the pass defense and just making things happen on that front, uh, I think that's going to severely limit what UTEP can do. Uh and, you know, they're going to have to rely on their running game. So I think we're going to see another interesting performance by the running game, but I think Middle Tennessee ultimately going to score more points. 
So. Yeah, you know, I'll be quick here. As always, it's going to come down to, for UTEP, as always, it's going to come down to what uh, Kyle Loxley can do at quarterback. You know, will his efficiency as a passer, will that continue to, to grow from last week, or will it revert back to what we've seen earlier in the year? I think Middle Tennessee State's playing playing really well since the loss to FIU. If Shatan Mobley is going to be ready to carry the load, that'll be huge because it's going to take uh, the pressure off of Brent Stockstill from having to run as much. I've got Middle Tennessee State straight up, but, you know, like I said, something to keep an eye on will be how the performance of Kyle Loxley, a quarterback, plays into their efficiency at running back and the rest of the minor offense. But MTSU gets a W. They keep rolling. Yep. And at 5 p.m. Eastern time in Boca, we have FAU hosting Western Kentucky. Alice favored by uh, 20 in this game. I think that's more than fair, given what Devin Singletary has been able to do all year, and especially last week against FIU. Um, And really, FAU kind of having some inconsistency a little bit, at quarterback aside, um, it's certainly nothing compared to what Western's had to deal with all year. And um, I... Do not see a, I do not see a world in which FAU does not cover um, that 20-point spread here. So uh, I'm taking the Owls in this one, especially considering I think we're going to see another big day from that run game, which ultimately means we're going to see another big uh, tackle day from Ben Holt. So uh, if, <laughs> if the Hilltoppers can, you know, take solace in one thing, it's that Holt honestly making his case for, uh, you know, the NFL as he kind of moves through his career here. Yeah, I guess that's the point where you're at as a Hilltopper fan, huh? I mean, we're talking about two teams in vastly different places. Uh, I think FAU wins mm-hmm. because they're literally playing for their bowl lives. I don't want to say they have the swagger back, but, you know, if you saw the confidence that they had post game, you know, when they made that mad dash for the Shula Bowl trophy, you know, they really looked like a team that, you know, just needed that, that win to kind of prove to themselves if more than anyone else, that they still can be that team from last year. Uh, also remember, this is an FAU team that's led in every game except for the Oklahoma one. You know, mm-hmm. so Devin Singletary is the man. Kareth White is a great backup, and I'll be interested to see what they do at quarterback. DeAndre Johnson provided, uh, you know, something that you saw live, but I'm sure uh, if you watched the game at home, you probably saw it as well. A really unique dynamic with his legs that extending plays was huge. Uh, so I think he definitely deserves to, if not be the start, the starter. Uh, They'll do the same thing what they did last week is maybe start Robinson and then throw Dunder Johnson in there and yeah it'll be another uh, another I'll say Ben Holt will get twenty tackles because he's certainly gonna have the opportunity with how many times the ball will be run at him but FAU wins easily. Western Kentucky basketball opens the season tonight against Washington and that's all I have left to say about that. <laughs> uh, we have Rice going to Louisiana Tech this Saturday at uh, seven p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Tech favored by twenty five. Uh, Jamar Smith and uh, Adrian Hardy, that whole Tech offense, I think they're going to pick back up where they left off before the Mississippi State game this week. Um, While we're seeing some improvement from Rice, I don't think uh, they're going to be able to keep pace with what we know that Tech offense can do, uh, especially now that they're playing angry. And um, it also doesn't help that, um, you know, we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have Wiley Green probably slightly afraid for his life dealing with... um, uh, you know, Jalen like, Ferguson. Yes, I'm like, yeah. The I just had a complete brain fart. Um, <laughs> it's all good, buddy. It's all me. <laughs> it's it's like me and Google are the one and the same now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Jalen Ferguson is going to have another big game, keeping pressure on the Rice backfield, and Tech wins this one fairly easily. 
you know, Joe, it happens. I was doing the the pregame show um, for FIU, and I, I I can't remember the player. I forgot there was there was a running back who I just had a huge brain fart. It was like, all right, of course it comes to you right after you know you finish the spot. Like, damn it, that's what I was thinking about. But you know, for uh, for this game, like you mentioned, you know, Wyla Green's probably gonna be running for his life trying to get away from Jalen Ferguson. I think this is one of those games where he'll have one of those, you know, three or four sack games against uh, Rice like he did earlier in the season against the team. Uh, Jamar Smith's been up and down all year, so you just want to see him get in rhythm early. And for Tech, it's a team that, you know, like I said, they're they're already bowl eligible, but they're fighting for bowl position and kind of bowl prestige in Conference USA. So I think they'll get the job done pretty easily. But, you know, for Rice, you just want to see uh, consistent, you know, building upon last week. You know, even though they took the loss, you just want to see as far as the pass game, just keep building with Wiley Green. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to see. Um, so we'll move on then to FIU going to ten, uh, San Antonio. What is with us today? We cannot talk. Anyway, FIU heading to San Antonio to face UTSA. Uh, Panthers favored by 10.5 here. I think they're going to get back on track for the most part. Um, UTSA just simply doesn't have the offensive firepower to kind of keep up with James Morgan when he's having a good day. Uh, and then you also factor in, you know, Napoleon Maxwell being able to uh, balance out that FIU offense. And uh, really just bottom line, this is a matter of FIU just being a better football team than UTSA is at this point. So uh, picking the Panthers here. Yeah, and something I didn't mention because, you know, excuse me, it was such a kind of a, you know, a lopsided loss for FIU last week. But we saw the return of Anthony Jones, which if you know nothing about his story, you know, he was shot, you know, in a, in a drive-by shooting, just uh, such a random thing that happened to him and his uh, teammate, Mershawn Miller in Miami Gardens. So uh, I think with this being his second game back from the injury, you know, I think he'll be, uh, get in rhythm. I'm expecting a big game from him as well as James Morgan, as you mentioned. Uh, for FIU, they can't take this team lightly because the defense is really talented. They have to run the, the fix the run game that has to be addressed. It doesn't matter if it's Taylor Porter from Arkansas Pine Bluff or Devin Singletary. They've given up too many big plays via the run. B.J. Daniels and Jalen Rose are capable backs, but the fact of the matter is this. UTSA just has too many issues at quarterback, and that's really hurt their production. Uh, in the end, FIU is playing for a team. It, it's, wow. They're a team playing for something, mm-hmm. and in their quest to prove that they're not the old FIU, they'll respond to last week's embarrassing loss and get the W. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on that one. You can catch that one on ESPN Plus, by the way. And then uh, UAB is going to host Southern Miss this week as they look to keep rolling, favored by 11.5. Uh, you can catch that one at 7.30 Eastern time. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I really have to say here. I think the UAB offense and uh, just the firepower that they have, I think it's going to be a little too much for Southern Miss. While they've been playing uh, you know, okay, uh, considering some of the things that they've had to deal with this year, um, I think it's just a matter. It's not a matter of them being bad. It's a matter of UAB being that good. So I'm I'm taking the Blazers to cover the eleven and a half point spread here. Sure. Yeah. You, as you said, I'm glad you left this one open for me. You said that you can catch this one at seven thirty. Uh, you can catch it on B in Sports, who mm-hmm. I inadvertently buried last week. <laughs> uh, I, I, what I was what I was attempting to say is that B in Sports can just be hard to find. You know, luckily I have Sling TV, um, so it's not exactly the easiest network to find because they're only available on certain uh, uh, providers. But it is great coverage of Conference USA football for Southern Miss. The defense has been great uh, all year long. You know, they've their average third and out distance for opponents to convert is eight point five yards. So, so I don't want to say that UAB, you know, will just come in here and, and, and just challenge them because I do think there is a 
there's a recipe for Southern Miss to win in that this can be one of the games where Spencer Brown, you know, gets his 100 yards, but it comes on 25 carries. You know, it's got to be one of those games where, you know, he's getting 150, 160, and, and you know, the backup as well, James Noble, is getting those type of, of numbers. Because if, if, if they're only averaging, say, three to three and a half to four yards a carry, you're going to put them in those third and, and medium and third and pass situations, and they've been really good at getting off the field in those types of uh, those type of scenarios. Um, so that's going to be huge. And from what the latest I read in the Birmingham newspaper, I'm sorry that I don't have the publication on me, um, but I read that it look, looks like it'll be uh, uh, Johnson going again for AJ Early. So uh, that's good news for Southern Miss. You know, for for the Golden Eagles, uh, no news if Jack Abraham will be back. So it looks like it'll be uh, Tate Watley again. Um, the, the key for Southern Miss is going to be Quez Watkins, you know, Travensky Mosley. Can they play up to their potential? Uh, I, I think it'll be a tight ball game. I don't think it'll be one that you'll be able to run away with, but I think that uh, they will get their ninth win of the year and make a statement that, hey, you know, they are the cream of the crop and they're back in Conference USA. <laughs> Can you say that in the Macho Man Savage voice? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give it a shot. The <laughs> now, there you go. There you go, Joe. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I think the Blazers have that one more or less under control. And um, on the note of uh, BN, um, something that I've noticed that I actually very much like about their coverage is um, during their halftime shows, they actually talk about G5 football and like things that relate to the game that they're covering. Because you watch something like uh, like ESPN or uh, one of the bigger networks and you go to the halftime show during a G5 game – and the conversation—it's. I understand it's usually it's pre-recorded, a- but it just has nothing to do with that game. And it's they're talking about all the P five storylines, and it's like, well, that's not you know, that's not why I'm watching this game. You know, if I really cared that much about, you know, the top five, um, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, watching this game instead of one of those games. You know what I mean? So it's it's a little yeah, annoying. That- and credit to BN for catering to, you know, G five football fans in that way. That's a really good point because, you know, a lot of times I'm watching the ESPN coverage uh, as I'm, you know, heading into the stadium. And like you said, you know, you'll be watching a G5 game. I I think I watched uh, Charlotte versus um, Southern Miss earlier this year. And like you said, they were focusing all the attention was on, hey, you know, the Saturday showdown on ABC or the SEC game of the week or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's a fair point. You know, like I said. Be in sports, they do a great job of covering Conference USA football. You know, um, Mike Gleason and Brett Romberg have been great to listen to all year. So great job uh, by BN. Absolutely. And uh, with that, that's uh, really all we had to share with you guys today. So we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Um, If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us grow very much. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. And uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And check out underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football goodness. Uh, With that, we will leave you to it. Enjoy your week and have a happy Saturday watching football, which is a variation of the thing I usually say, which is happy football watching, everybody. Happy football watching, guys.